So today, well, let me actually back up to last Sunday. Uh, we had a work bee, right? We did a lot of stuff. We were working really hard. And then after, Raquel and I, my wife, we had this uh, moment, this decision that needed to be made. You see, and for those of you who have been members, you know that I love everything uh, planes, rockets, aerospace, right? Today I got my little Artemis pin on, right? Uh, and so last week, uh, we knew that Monday morning, the Artemis rocket was scheduled to launch uh, over at Cape Canaveral. And so, man, we didn't even leave Gainesville until like 9 p.m., but we decided last minute, now we're going to go. Because how often, you know, I mean, in Florida it happens quite a bit, but it's been a while, and now they're getting back into it, but this is the first time they're getting ready to go back to the moon and all this stuff. It's the biggest rocket since the Apollo missions, and I'm there. Right? So we get in the car, we drive, we don't get to Orlando, to, our, to my in-law's place until super late, and then we wake up super early because if you've ever gone to watch one of the launches, you know you need to be there at least 36 hours before the rocket goes up or else you're not going to see anything. And so we drive all the way over there, like one eye is asleep, the other one is driving, I'm getting there, and, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And we get a notification on the phone that says, hey, they noticed like a leak in the fuel tank. And I was like, no, 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 God is good. I drove all this way. The mission will go on as planned. And wouldn't you know it, uh, <laughs> well, it didn't go up, right? <laughs> Spoiler alert, uh, did not go up. My disappointment was immeasurable. And uh, you know, but you go on. That's what's part of being a Floridian. Here's the thing, these missions are carefully, carefully planned. That's good, right? We've had some really hard, challenging moments when it comes to space exploration in the past few decades, right? Immediately you think of the Challenger explosion, right? You think of the other space shuttle that came apart in reentry. These missions are planned like literally down to the second, like a second before it's gonna go up, they could cancel it if they notice something. That is a good thing, right? Because if I'm an astronaut, I am not getting on a rocket that does not have a super, super detailed mission. Why? Because it would be unsafe, right? These missions include things like don't shoot the rocket up straight into a storm cloud, right? Don't shoot the rocket up if it's too windy, right? Don't shoot the rocket up if you see a raindrop. Like all these little things, like they, they don't play around. And that keeps the astronauts safe, right? Not only that, each rocket's like a billion dollars, so it keeps their investment safe too, right? Think of it like this. Not all of us are going to be astronauts, but you may one day, if you have not already gone, win an all-expenses-paid trip to Hawaii. Amen. We need vacations, right? So you head to the airport and you, uh, again, you know me, I like planes, so I'm sticking with the theme. You, you go up the jet bridge and, and it just so happens that the captain is there. And you say, oh, good morning, captain. I'm excited for this trip. Are you ready to go? And he or she looks back at you and says, no. <coughs> what do you mean? You're not ready to go to Hawaii? He's like, never heard of it. What? 
You're going to take us there, right? He's like, maybe. If we can get there, I mean, I've never been. Well, don't you have a map? No, nah, I didn't care to look. I didn't care to look at it. Uh, okay, well, does the co-pilot know where they're going? Oh, no, they're new. So you're going to fly me halfway across the Pacific, and maybe we land? Yep. I don't know about you. I like planes. I'm getting off that flight. Right? I'm not even going to get on. I'm going to turn right back around. I'll walk back out the jet bridge. And I will. there's plenty of beaches here in Florida. Without a plan, right? The pilot might fly you through the absolute worst turbulence, right? They may, they may end up in the wrong place, right? You go to, you say you're going to go to Hawaii and they land in Guam, or you could run out of fuel halfway across the ocean, and that's nowhere you want to be. Or you could crash into something because they're just careless. They have not planned. Their mission is no mission. You understand what I'm saying? And that is not a place you want to be. The reality is just like NASA and Artemis, pilots have a duty to be briefed on their mission. They are heavily briefed. Even if they've been to the airport a million times, guess what they do? They go early in the morning, whenever they're set to report, they go over the mission with their co-pilot for that day. What's the weather like? Which runway will we, will we be landing on? They are heavily, heavily briefed on the mission, and so it is safe to fly with them. Barna did a study. Does anybody know what Barna is? If you don't, Barna is a research group that focuses specifically on all things church-related. Right? That's what they do. Full-time job. We're going to do reports, studies, in-depth analysis of what goes on in our church. A study that Barna did in 2018 found <clears throat> that only 50 or that 51% of churchgoers have never heard of the Great Commission. I'm going to say it again, because that's wild, right? This, and they don't just study one denomination, they study all of them. We are included in that, by the way, right? 51% of Christians do not know what the Great Commission is. You're like, oh my goodness. Well, at least 49% knows what it is. Well, that's not exactly true. Only 25% of Christians reported to saying, well, the Great Commission rings a bell. I've heard of it, I think, but I cannot articulate it to you. Oh, man. So let's break that down even farther. Only 17% of Christians know what the Great Commission is and also know how to articulate that mission to you. I don't know about you. If only 17% of pilots knew how to land the plane, I would not fly. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same for church, right? Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. Maybe you fall into that 51%, but the church has a mission. We don't just come to hang out and have a good time. We have a mission. How would a church know where it's going? 
if it does not know its mission. Today, uh, as we've read already, we're going to be in Matthew 28. This is the last chapter of Matthew and the very last paragraph of Matthew. And so while you're flipping there, I'm going to position us in the context of this story, in the history of this story. So we hopefully know there was a man named Jesus. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus died. Spoiler alert, right? Jesus died. And when he died, because he was perfect, he took on the sins of the world past, present, and future, future including you and me, and he nailed it to the cross. He had victory over death. Amen. Right? He is the hero of this story. And if the story had ended there, it would be a very, it would be a very sad story. But spoiler, spoiler alert again, three days later, he rose from the dead. Amen. Right? Great. Wonderful. And so... Once he rose from the dead, Jesus appeared, right? He appeared to the two Marys. And so uh, in the same chapter, Matthew 28, verse 5, verse 5, it says this. The, the two Marys were coming down to the tomb and they run into an angel. Verse 5 says, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And so they do. They go and they check it out. And then they uh, bump into none other than Jesus himself in verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What begins to happen in the meantime, before we meet Jesus in Galilee, where we're going to be spending our time this morning, a story begins to form, right? Gossip, right? The guards who watch the stone be rolled away, who are scared, they run to the teachers of the law and they tell them what they saw. They're like, oh, I don't, this was scary. I'm petrified. I don't, I. And what do they do? They pay them off and say, listen, you just tell everybody that the disciples came, like there was some shady business going on, and that this whole thing is a hoax. And so that's what they do. And the word begins to spread. The word begins to spread. I have to imagine that the disciples begin to hear this story themselves. And so when Jesus says, and they have to just take the word of the two Marys, mind you, context of the time, women and the word of women were not valued, right? So to come the two Marys come and they say, Jesus is back. He wants us to meet him in Galilee. They might say in their minds, well, how could he though? You know, there's already this other story. People are beginning to believe it. And so some doubted. 
And so to meet Jesus in Galilee was an act of faith. And it says this in verse 16. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I know that it can be an interesting thing to begin to believe that the disciples doubted. Now, there is some debate here that if it was the eleven or if it was the surrounding group, because did you know this, friends, that there were the 12 disciples, now at this point the 11, because of the betrayal of Judas, but there, that was the inner core group, and within that group there was another core group, but surrounding the 12 were other followers of Jesus. Did you know that? And so there is debate that goes back and forth whether it was the 11 that doubted or whether or not it was the surrounding group. Regardless of who it was, it is easy for us to say, my goodness, didn't you just see him raise someone from the dead? Didn't you, you watched him call out Lazarus from the dead. You saw him take someone who was blind and cause them to see, somebody who's never walked and let them walk. He fed 5,000 people with a fish and a slice of bread. How could you doubt? Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When I was at Southern, uh, the summers in between, I worked at summer camp, not Kalakwa. I don't know if I've told this story or how detailed I've told parts of the story, but when I was at Southern, I decided one day I wanted to work at camp, but I also wanted to work somewhere I'd never heard of before. And so I prayed, God, send me somewhere I've never heard of. And I walked into the student center, and the first camp right there in your face was Nasoka Pines Ranch. And I said, never heard of that. And I signed up. And it was the only camp I signed up for an interview with, and I got the job. It's out in South Carolina. I thought Nasoka was like a Native American name. And then when I got there, they said, no, it's just like an abbreviation for North South Carolina. Nasoka. And I was like, oh, cool, right? <laughs> My first year there was awesome, but it was also an absolute train wreck, right? So my mom is a teacher. She's been teaching for well over 20 years. And in that career, she's taught almost exclusively like anywhere from first to fifth grade, okay? The first week of camp, they call Cub Camp, is right in there, that age group. Oh, my word. I was with them for like a couple hours, and I finally got some time away, and I called my mom. I was like, Mom, how on earth do you do this every single day? Let me put it like this. I had one of the kids who 
if a kid says that you're ugly or something, like, you know they're telling the truth, right? <laughs> Let's just put it like that. This young, young, young man comes up to me, and he can just read my face, and he says, hey, you're a new counselor, huh? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're not very good at this, are you? <laughs> I said, yeah. No. <laughs> no, I am not. Those kids ran circles around me. Why? Because I did not embrace the authority that had been given to me. Does that make sense? The camp director says, Ben, you are a camp counselor, right? All authority over this camp has been given to you to tell these kids what to do. But I was scared. I wanted to be the cool counselor. I wanted to like, be that guy that they could just hang out with. And I didn't, I didn't want to tell them no. And they destroyed my summer. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that second summer, I learned about the authority that had been given to me. See, what happened is, this was my thing. After that, after that first year, I became seasoned, and I said, OK, this is the play. When the kids come, they're all excited. We're going to let them do whatever they want until Sunday night when we get them in the cabin for the first night. And then I'm going to gather them all around the bed, and I'm going to look them all in the eye. And I'm going to say, who wants to go home? Because I'll send you home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Try me. Yeah, you jumping on the bed? Home. You didn't make your bed? Home. You brought dirt in? Home. Try me. And then you don't crack a smile until like Tuesday evening, and then you make like a little joke, and the kids are like, can I laugh? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you kind of get to be the cool counselor, but when you say come, they come. Because you have established the authority that has been given to you. Right? Are you understanding what I'm saying? That second summer was completely different. Here's the thing about authority and human nature. Depending on your personality type, when you are given authority, right? So let's say that you've been just working day in and day out at your job, and you have a bad supervisor, and you can't stand them, and they make your life hard, and it's like, ah. Oh. And then after a few years of working really hard, you're given authority, and you look back on the couple of years that you're just like, man, like, with the authority they were given, they didn't do this, and they didn't do that, and they are incompetent this, and they are incompetent that. And then when you are given the authority, it is easier to just go ahead and say, I'm going to do it myself. Why? Because you don't got to ask anyone's permission, right? You don't got to say sorry to anyone. You just do what needs to be done. It's faster, right? I Sibling psychology says that more often than not, this kind of mentality is from like the firstborns or single, uh, single like you have no siblings, right? Because you spent some time alone. You learned how to do things alone. And so when you're given authority, you just do things alone, right? Here's the thing about that. Yes, it is done faster. You might even argue that it is done right. When I just do it myself, things are better. 
because I know it's going to be done well. But there is an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. This is the thing that makes no sense to me. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? And we know it to be true because when he stands up and says, storms calm down, they calm down. When blind people cannot see and he says, you can see, they see. Not just on earth, but in heaven also, the entire universe answers to Jesus. And you've watched him work miracles. And you know that if he did it himself, it would be done right the first time. It would be done much faster. But with all of the authority in the entire universe, he turns to the disciples, those who have been following him, who should know him and come to him doubting and says, therefore, go. You guys go. I would have been that silly disciple who said, uh, Jesus, excuse me, that seems like a waste of time, right? I mean, you can just speak to people's hearts and change them, but you want me to go? Yes. Go, therefore, Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, me? Jesus chose them. He has also chosen you. That mission remains the same, right? In fact, if anything, I believe that that mission is maybe even more important now in a world that says, I do not accept any mission other than the mission that I chart for myself. That mission is paramount to the future of this world. Jesus chose you. He chose the disciples even though they doubted. Remember Lazarus, guys. Remember that I raised others from the dead. Remember that the blind can now see. Remember when I walked through the storm on the water to get to you? Therefore, go. Because of what you've seen, because of what you've experienced, go. Even though we Doubt. Have you ever, ever in your life experienced just a powerful movement of God in your life? Amen. That it's just undeniably Jesus. It is undeniably a supernatural power that has positioned you in a place that you could not have gotten to on your own. Amen. And then, a few days later been met with another challenge and shrunk in fear. 
That's doubt, right? That is exactly what that is. And we have all experienced that we've all done it. I have, and if you say you haven't, you're a liar. And Jesus still chose you. Imperfect as you are, as imperfect as I am, he has chosen you to go. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And you are imperfect and you doubt and you make mistakes. Therefore, go. I, there's a verse in the Bible that even calls us ambassadors for Christ, right? To wrap your mind around what an ambassador does on a day-to-day basis is a lot, but at its core, an ambassador represents the country they're from. You represent the kingdom of God. When you walk into a situation that is hard, that is broken, that seems like there's no way out, and you can tell those people of all nations, I've been there too, but God pulled me out. I have doubted too, but God was faithful. Imagine a holy, perfect being walking into a situation, right, who has never experienced what you have experienced and telling you this is the way to get to where you need to go. I don't know about you, but sometimes stuff like that happens in real life, where like somebody who was born a millionaire tries to talk to you about the struggle. That's the most annoying thing on the planet. Am I wrong or am I right? Right? Somebody who was, I don't know, uh, given a car growing up, didn't have to work for it, trying to tell you about how, man, like, that summer job I had, man, I was just working. Get out of here. Right? That person who got the promotion over you because they're related to the boss, get out of here. There is a reason why God chose you, and it is exactly because you're rough around the edges. All authority has been given to him. All knowledge, all wisdom, all foresight has been given to him, and he looked at you and said, this is my ambassador, and I'm going to send them where they need to go. My agents around all nations, around all people, because they, because they are chosen by me. There's a thing that floats around like Christian circles, right? Where it says that, uh, you know, I can't change anyone's heart, right? And I tend to agree with that, right? Only, we would say, only God can change someone, right? I believe that is true. Why is that? Because of the all authority has been given to him thing. 
But to get there, to relate to a person, he has delegated that to you. Do you understand the importance you have sitting here today? Whoops. Do you understand the importance you have when you're sitting in your cubicle at work and your coworker comes in and just strikes up a conversation? Do you understand the importance of awkward thanksgivings when you are the only Christian in your family, right? And your cousins have a few questions. Do you understand the importance you have when your children begin to wonder who Jesus is? You are an agent for Christ, specially chosen for this time and this place and this generation. As messed up as you may think it is, you have a mission. It is not for you to sit idly by and let other people do the work because you have been chosen. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. A disciple, that word is a special word, right? Jesus didn't say, go and make other Christians. He was very specific when he said disciple. At its core, at its root, the definition of a disciple is a learner. Somebody who is continually learning from their experience. Somebody who is continually wanting to be mentored from someone else. Jesus says, go make disciples. Not go and make other Christians. It's because the difference between a Christian and a disciple is that a Christian believes in Jesus, but a disciple follows Jesus. Do you understand that distinction? A Christian believes in Jesus. Yeah, I believe that he existed, and I've heard there are these blessings, and, you know, I'm part of that 51% who maybe never heard that I have a mission. But I am a Christian. But a disciple follows Jesus on the mountaintops, in the valleys, in the mission field, at work, at home, right? On the bus, on the train, on the plane, I follow Jesus. I learn from Jesus. I allow him to correct me. I allow him to bring me up. I follow Jesus wherever he goes. As a disciple with a mission, and I guess what, what this is saying at its core is, you are my disciples, you follow me, go make other disciples. Disciples who make other disciples. You cannot, you can't make disciples by just sitting here. Right? 
You get what I'm saying? You cannot make disciples by uh, setting your alarm to go off around sunset Friday night, right? And then setting a reminder to say, oh, I got to go to church tomorrow and coming here and listening to a sermon and singing some songs and then going back home and living in a silo. You cannot make disciples by sitting here, by just coming to church. And Jesus knew this. That's why he says, therefore, go. You have to go, right? What, what does that look like? You come to church, that's great. But then, maybe after church, find a ministry, right? Go, go feed the homeless, right? Maybe after church, you say, well, I'm going to go and meet my neighbors who I've lived next to for 5, 10, 20 years and never talked to, Right? You make disciples by going to the nursing home, right? You make disciples by going and reading to children. You make disciples by going to the board meeting and getting involved. You make disciples when you get up out of your seat and go and do something. You don't have to go overseas. But you have to, have to get involved with the mission of God's church. I'll tell you what, involvement saved my life. Right? So just personal testimony time. I, and I don't, I think, I don't know if I've ever talked about it from up here, but I definitely know I've talked uh, to certain people I grew up in this church, not this, but the Adventist church. I grew up in this church, right? And I went to church, heard like thousands of sermons over the years, right? And I just did the things that everybody does. But all I was doing was consuming, right? I was coming, but I wasn't going anywhere, right? And so in my mind, I was like, you know what? This is, this is dead. This is not for me. I'm not... I'm not excited by this at all, but out of, like by accident, literally by accident, I was asked to run a small group in high school. And I was like, you guys got the wrong person, but whatever, I guess I can do it. And it was there, right? I didn't have to go overseas. I literally didn't even have to go across the street, but I had to go to my community and minister in my community. I had to get up out of the seat and participate. And it was there that my life was changed. It was almost like a match, boom, a light went off and I understood what it was all about. All authority had been given to Jesus, is given to Jesus, and then I realized because what the problem was, I, I thought, man, everybody else seems called to do something, but I don't, I'm not feeling it. So it must be something's wrong. But when I answered the call, when I stepped into the mission, therefore go, and began to run this small group, the lights came on. And I have never looked back. 
And I know for somebody here, maybe it's our youth or collegiates or, or somebody who's been in the church for a long time and it just feels like, like, like the spark is going out, the light is going out, it might be that you have come, but you have not gone in a while. Listen, outside of these walls is all manners of terrible things going on, right? All kinds of, even in this room, I know some of the stories. I've heard some of the stories, and I know there are all manners of rough things going on, and you're not feeling qualified, and sometimes I don't feel qualified, but God's mission was go into all nations, Let's put that into perspective. Yes, we have missionaries. And they do, some of them, go to all nations and baptize and make disciples. But all nations in this context might look like somebody you don't like. Because this, when Jesus says go into all nations, that was very forward thinking of Jesus at the time. I've said this a few times in sermons. The, the Jewish people at this time literally had a prayer that said, Dear God, thank you so much. I'm not a Gentile. There was extreme hatred of other people, and, and, and it was reciprocated, and people didn't get along. And Jesus says, I want you to go out into all nations and not just make Christians who, who just consume thought, but disciples who want to learn for the rest of their life. All nations, going out into all nations for us today might just look like somebody across the aisle here who you don't like. It might look like, it might look like the young man who left church a few years ago and you've watched them on social media just completely bash everything that you hold near and dear to your heart religiously, right? That young man may have <clears throat> gotten into all manners of things that you just do not agree with. And then one day, for whatever reason, they walk back into church and you just want to, with all of the holy rage, you just want to tell them off and tell them exactly why everything they put on Facebook was wrong and where have you been and what have you been doing. Going out into all nations looks like seeing that young man and like we talked about a few weeks ago, being like the father of the prodigal son and running and embracing them before somebody else gets to them, right? Going out into all nations might look like the young woman who got pregnant before she was married and you've heard the gossip. Lord have mercy, you may have been part of the gossip and you may disagree fundamentally with the choices she has made, but someday she might walk through those doors. And creating a disciple doesn't start with 
here's everything you did wrong in the last few years. Creating disciples, right, starts with love. Going out into all nations might look like that person from the other political party who you cannot stand. Right? I know you have them. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I scroll through my social medias, and I'm not telling you what I believe. But I will read things and say, ooh, I want to tell them a thing or two. <laughs> right? But going out into all nations, whether you agree with them or not, because the disciples fundamentally disagreed with the Gentiles. Fundamentally disagreed with the Gentiles, but the Lord gave them a mission to go to those people. But he doesn't just leave them there because I know that going out into all nations so to speak, quote unquote, sounds exhausting, impossible. Like all it's going to be is a fight here and a fight there. But Jesus closes his mission with this, verse 20. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. There is a theme in all of Scripture that God wants to be close to you. He had them build a tabernacle so that he could dwell among them. Right? We are now called God's sanctuary. The Holy Spirit. God lives in your heart. He desires to be close to you. No matter what you're going through, he's going to be right there with you. Just keeping with the aviation theme of today, when you get your private pilot's license, you have to get a few hours in, but then they make you go on a solo flight. You're by yourself. You've had an instructor next to you the whole time before leading up to this. But then they say, listen, you are ready. This is your quote unquote mission. Your mission is to go solo. You make some maneuvers around the airport and you come back and land. And that is a daunting task for someone who's never flown a plane by themselves before. But here's the reality, right? Yes, the instructor is not literally next to you. You can't touch them and have them bail you out, but they are with you the entire time. Where? Your head says. You got a question you don't know the answer to? You radio in. Hey, what is this? They're watching you on the radars. If they see you're going off track, they will correct you and bring you back. They are with you the entire time. And in our walk, 
in our mission, it is the same. You may feel alone, but Jesus is one prayer away. You see, going back to Hawaii, right? A pilot might know how to get, how to turn the plane on, get it up in the air, fly around, but without a clear mission, a clear mission, you are ultimately going nowhere. As an astronaut, they may strap you to a rocket, but without a clear mission, without parameters, without protection, you are ultimately going nowhere. And I wouldn't want to be on any of those flights if I know I'm going nowhere. And so friends, why would the church, a church that has a mission, be any different? Jesus was talking to the 11, and he's talking to you also. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, all of you go. If the church is not a building, literally this is a building, and we call it church, but the church is a people. It is a movement. It is at its core, a mission. If the people of that group have no clear indication of where they're going or what they are supposed to do, we are going nowhere. And I don't want to get on that ride. And so this is a clear, clear call to action for all of us today. That the mission isn't just the churches, this building, but the mission is yours. It was given to you, and you make up the church. So, our church has a mission, right? I don't know if you look at it. I put it up on here every week for us to look at it. In your bulletin, if you have one, you can open it. And you can look in here, and you will see that the mission of the Gainesville Seventh-day Adventist Church, it says, here we love God and serve others. We serve our community. We grow in spiritual maturity and in relationship with Jesus, and we go and invite others to know Jesus. There are many ways that this can be done here in Gainesville. You do not have to get on a plane and fly across the world to fulfill God's mission on earth. But you do have to get involved each and every one of us. Let's pray. Our most kind and heavenly Father, God, we praise you for your authority. Lord, we submit.
to your authority and your leading. And so, God, if you say go, in response, we say where? God, if you say go, we ask how far? Lord, may we not protest your mission. May we not sit by knowing that we have a mission. But God, may we be disciple-making disciples. God, whatever that looks like here for everybody, if that means that somebody needs to uh, just get involved and become a disciple, God, I pray that this group covers them. God, that the disciples would make more disciples here in this church. God, and then we could go out into our local community and invite people to know you, the God who calms storms with his voice, who calls people from death, who conquered death himself. God, that same God, may we with boldness go with the mission you have called us, baptizing people of all nations, people we don't necessarily get along with or even like. God, I pray that you would mold us into the people you need us to be for this uh, community, for this people, for your mission here in Gainesville. I pray in your name, amen.